Geeks Unleashed Conversation. What is your secret origin? How did you get into and find your love for comics and pop culture? Um, I, I think actually my love of comics was the first love. So I, I, I play music as well. And obviously I write um, yeah. novels. But the first thing before I ever wrote stories or played any musical instrument or anything like that, first thing I got into was comics. Uh, I, I always say that I didn't find comics. I think they comic, found, they found comic me. books found me. Yeah. yeah. I loved action figures. Like action figures were my thing. Like I have uh, boxes of them <laughs> in the side room over here. So action figures, cartoons, all that stuff was like was my thing. Introduce myself to a different community. That when you go from one school to another, that's mm-hmm. completely different. It's kind of it can be jarring, right? But it was, it was something because it was a shared love, a shared experience. And that was one of the first times I realized that pop culture is a bridge. Welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 71. If you are not already subscribed, you can find us at Geeks Unleashed everywhere, including your favorite podcast platform. Remember, five-star reviews help us get found by more listeners. So please rate and review Geeks Unleashed on Apple or Podchaser. Uh, as usual, I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. And it is our second week of Horror Fest here at Geeks Unleashed. So for this month's conversation, we are speaking to writer, illustrator, and publisher Tony Fleece, whose creator-owned works include Stray Dogs, In My Lifetime, and Jeff Steinberg, Champion of Earth. And he has licensed work, including Star Wars and My Little Pony, which the My Little Pony and Transformers crossover, that is the thing that I never know I needed until <laughs> I saw it. So I <laughs> think... Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thanks, Thanks guys. Happy us. to be here. Yeah, uh, I love that what you just said about Star Wars and My Little Pony. Like, I'm I've already pre-ordered the graphic novel. So <laughs> I actually have December. a friend who collects them, and like she's she's so prim and proper. And it was one of those things where it's like you never really expected it. And one day we were hanging out, and she was like you want to know a secret? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Do I? Maybe. She was like, I have a My Little Ponies collection. And I was like, yeah, right. And she literally went into her closet and pulled out Rubbermaid containers and then just went through like name by name by name by name. And she was like, oh, well, this one, this one has the pony cancer and this one's not worth anything. And I was like, I don't even know what you're saying right now. But uh, My Little <laughs> Pony is like huge. It was huge when we were much younger, but it seems like it's yeah. been making a comeback. Now, what's the pony cancer? It's when you have the original versions of the first released ponies, but they get spots on them. Oh, it's, yeah. I, I've noticed, like, sometimes they get sticky. and they, yeah. 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 So, apparently, in the My Little Pony collector circles, they call that pony cancer. Pony cancer. Oh, yeah, I learned something that I never knew before. Yeah, me too. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I felt like I knew all the terms. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that either. Yeah. I, to be honest, actually, like I know it's going to be a complete segue. I, um, my dad, my mum and dad have got a storage container and it had all my old action figures from uh, when I was a kid. And I've been desperate to get them back. I've been saying to him for years. And in the end, I finally got my dad a couple of weeks ago. We literally pulled out every box. It was like, you know, we're in this far, these containers are on farmland. And um, I know what I'm about to show you is visual now, so for a podcast that doesn't work. But can you see uh, He-Man here? Yeah. Uh, if you can see right here on his face, it's really annoying. That's mold, and um, I just can't get it out. Like I, I've re- I've rescued I, I don't know like a couple hundred toys, like figures, and I've got down to about ten which have got mold on them, and I've literally got toothbrushes and everything trying to get the mold <laughs> out. 
and uh, I'm still keeping it. I'm not getting rid of the mold, uh, moldy toys, but like I, especially the only bloody He Man has got mold on his face. So. Yeah, <laughs> he's, got the, he's got the pony cancer. Yeah, and he's got the pony cancer as well. <laughs> so. What's to say? Okay, so just to kick things off, what we'd love to know is sort of what your secret origin is in terms of not not how you became an illustrator or anything like that but how did you actually become interested in comic books and pop culture like i remember like when i was 14 i was sitting in art class i didn't even know comics were a thing until someone told me about them and took me to a comic shop i just would love to know sort of how how did you become interested in in that um i was from a i'm from a big family i got four brothers and sisters and when i was younger when i was probably seven or in there um, I was slow to read. Like I had to have a tutor uh, to, to learn how to read. Um, and so I started reading when I was like six. Um, and I, and I wasn't really interested in books until um, this family friend of ours named Donna, uh, like started bringing comic books over. And she's also the one that she like was our nerd friend, I guess back, you know, this is the eighties. So it wasn't like everybody was a nerd back then. This was just like one weird lady that we knew that liked Star Wars <laughs> and Star Trek. Yeah. You know? and, or Donna. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get in touch with Donna. It's crazy. As like hooked into everything as she was then, she's completely a ghost on the internet now. Like she's still alive, <laughs> as far as I can tell. She has a Facebook page, but like she updated it once in 2009 and then just, <laughs> that was it. Um, but yeah, she she was into Star Wars and she loved Star Trek. She would get so excited about those things. And it was just it, it was contagious because I, you know, like as soon as I saw that stuff, I had that spark that everybody has where they're just like, oh, my God, Batman, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so I remember specifically she got me the the death in the family trade paperback, which was like one of those first trade paperbacks that ever, you know, that was floating around in the, in the 80s. It was like four dollars. And uh and I treasured that thing. And, and looking back on it, it's such a complicated and silly story, this death of Robin thing. Um, but like, it just seemed so serious and important at the time. I remember my sister like bent the cover of it and I lost my mind. I was like, that's my whole fortune. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I got to keep this thing in good condition. Well, I, would probably, I would probably do that now. <laughs> um, but yeah, this lady Donna really got me into, into comics and sci-fi and fantasy and stuff. Like I remember she was into um star wars and star trek specifically but then like anything that would come along that was nerdy like she was you could tell that she was into it mm -hmm. I, when uh the star wars movies first came on i think they came on like abc sunday night movie uh she she was so over the moon that we could just watch these at home now uh, <laughs> i just remember being super psyched about it too and then my uncle was also into that stuff and i remember we taped all those the star wars trilogy for him and gave it to him for christmas um and he was he got these tapes from us and my dad and mom had a, a camcorder and they were always making videos of the family and giving them out and stuff and he was just like oh great cool <laughs> a video of the family and then he popped in and then it was like darth vader was just like tonight on the abc sunday night movie like, oh shit so, yeah early childhood um not not a super interesting story but just you know like i think like everybody before uh, everything was so uh, connected, you know, people got introduced to these things. And that's, well, that's, that's, what, that's what I find interesting because, yeah, I think, like you said, social media, I think what you're alluding to is social media now. You can pick, you can just go on Instagram or Facebook and you'll kind of see something easily, like even if it's just 
people take pictures of their books or what they're or they're, what they're listening to and <clears throat> like i just said to you like somebody in art class said to me actually what it was is some, someone in art class goes to me you're not going to believe this I went, what spider-man's a clone i was like what? <laughs> i was like well i was like what are you talking about like and then he just took me to a comic shop and showed me i was like oh okay like, this, like you know I was, who's, this, who's this ben riley character like and that's kind of like how i or how i found out it wasn't it was through actual yeah you know, you wouldn't believe it. People used to speak to each other. Uh, like, in person. Uh, yeah, in person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, unlike now. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, people did use to, it wasn't social media. It was like the connectivity. So I always love to hear sort of um, how people got, got into the, the world of pop culture and comics and things like that. When you first um, walked into a comic shop, though, like I know you talked about Robin, but what were some of the comics that you first saw that kind of pulled you in? Uh, the first one where I was just like, I have to come back here every day and get more comics. Like I didn't even realize that they only came out once a week. I would just go to the comic store <laughs> as possible. Um, was the last Chris Claremont X-Men comic. The, it was Jim Lee X-Men number three. Um, and I got that. It has this awesome cover. They're in the danger room. And like Colossus is just ripping these robots apart. Wolverine's going crazy on it. And it's just such a, like such a cool image and it's like jim lee does these big images like that's sort of what he's famous for you picture like you know the captain america and black widow and wolverine like all giant on that on that um x-men cover or um like the batman where he's standing on the edge of a of a building or like all his batman covers where he's just swinging right at you this one was all small characters but they still had this this crazy power that I like they just were in such motion that I was enraptured uh, and then you know you open it up and it's just Jim Lee artwork the whole time I was just like I got whatever this is I got to see this all the time <laughs> um, and so then I would go back every week and around that time was the, the death of Superman was was sort of soon in there X-Force mm-hmm. uh, like that was the new direction in X-Men when it was like X-Force, X-Factor with uh, Wills Protasio and then Larry Stroman. I know Wills Protasio was on Uncanny and then Larry Stroman was on X-Factor. So it was just like everybody badass was drawing X-Men comics at the time. So I was way into those. And then I started getting into Quarter Piles and New Mutants and then finding weird stuff in Quarter Piles. Like I found Howard Chaykin in Quarter Piles when I was way too young. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, just uh, once I found the comic shops, that was it. You know, like there, there was two downtown um, in Colorado Springs where I grew up. One uh, was called Heroes and Dragons, and I didn't like going in there. It was a nice enough shop and they were cool. But right across the hallway from them was this sunglasses store where they sold Oakley's. And it was like the comic book bubble was was still up, trending upwards. And the Oakley bubble had burst. And so this guy was just furious. Like people would be going in to buy comics all day long. And this guy would just sit there. Are we allowed to curse on this show? Yes. (laughs) So this guy would just sit in the doorway and just go fucking comics. Read your fucking (laughs) comics, fucking babies. Wow. Because he's upset people aren't buying his hundred dollar sunglasses. Oakley's. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) he was enraged. I saw him. uh, I was just a little kid and it hurt my feelings. So I was just like, oh man, because you know, Already you feel like these are for nerds or whatever back before the before we realized that everybody would like this stuff. Yeah. So it was it was real demoralizing. Uh, and then I saw him <laughs> as an adult. I was like at a hockey game at a, at a college 
And I saw this guy sitting over there now old and decrepit. And I was like, I think I could beat him up now if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been in a fight, but I was, I, I'm pretty confident. But you were I, ready to lay it on the line for that guy. Yeah. I, would, I, Anything, think now I definitely could take him. Yeah. Anything uh, for comics. You had to be in the 60s. At this point. <laughs> uh, but then the other shop was uh, much more uh, accessible and there was no jerks next door. It was like a free Tibet shop was next door. They were very accepting. Uh, it smelled like... Uh, that's all the time <laughs> um, so yeah that that place and then i ended up working there and they would let me work for comics like i would help them do their pulls on wednesdays and and then that's i would awesome. earn like 10 15 a week that i could spend on comics that's cool but, but they give you the money and it would literally within 10 minutes come back in their register oh yeah <laughs> i never saw cash yeah it was, <laughs> <laughs> they were they were like should we bother getting it out no no like, i'll spend injury. it anyway I really, you know, you said about X Men and a lot of that world pulled you in. I was, I think, other than I did pick up a lot of the Spider Mans, but I equally went down the road of um, X Factor and Generation X, and I, I, I was, uh, and then I got into X Men and Uncanny, and I got in around the time um, Onslaught was going on, the yeah. whole Onslaught saga, and um, so no, it's just. I think those big things, I think they're quite recognisable to a lot of people because obviously the X-Men animated series and Spider-Man animated series were on at the time when I got pulled in. So those are my instant draws, actually, because of those animated TV series. So, how, uh, how old are you now? I'm 40, unfortunately. Okay, so. yeah. So, so yeah, you're two years uh-huh. younger than me. That, that checks uh-huh. out exactly. Like uh, uh-huh. post-Age of Apocalypse... Uh, yeah 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 i went back and read that afterwards because that came out that was came out before i went in the shop but i then went back and read all of that which i thought was brilliant so those um, issues of x-men are some of my favorite comics ever they're so cool looking um the the age of uh, apocalypse issues with link i love all of that artwork um but yeah so thanks for sharing that your sort of your interest and uh and just how how did you get into the industry so how did what made you want to write and illustrate comics for a living what made, you know went from being the reader to wanting to be the creator well i um i knew i wanted to do either animation or comics um at a very early age like i like i said i'm from a big family and i was about four years older than all my brothers and sisters and so there's a that's a pretty big gap like all of them had like each other to play with or they were too young to play with me or you know so i spent a lot of time drawing i was sort of like a like an only child for for a good chunk of the time and then i was like an older brother but i sort of had my own thing going on so i would just draw constantly and i felt like i always had a direction that like i'm heading in this direction and so i would take like extracurricular art classes you know i'd take the regular art classes as much as i could at school and then when i was in junior high and high school there was this thing called ink spinners which was like it uh like if you took uh like if you were in a band that wasn't your school band, but wasn't like a rock band, you know, like if you're, I don't know, I don't know what to compare it to. Just some other outside of school class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there was like animation classes taught by this guy that had worked in animation and there was comic book classes taught by this guy that was making his own comics. Um, and, but then they would have like special guests come in. So like John Romita Jr. came and taught a, like a seminar and J. Scott Campbell when he was just brand new Gen 13, J. Scott Campbell. Came and oh, I love that. I love that series. Me too. Um, and so I did that stuff. And then when I went, when it was time to go to college, I went to an art institute school in Denver. Um, and the closest thing to anything that I was interested in was um, was computer animation. 
So I took that and I sort of realized there that like, this is not like, I'm picking up a lot of stuff that I, that's useful to me, but I don't think animation is necessarily the direction that I want to go just because it was um, a little more technical, the, the stuff that we were learning. And I wanted to do stuff that was more like uh, get your hands dirty, creative and, and like comics because you have so much control over the story and the illustration, the pacing and everything like that's sort of like the most direct form of like, you draw it, it goes to the reader, they read it, you know, animation, like you could be any number of steps. There's one guy who does like the main animation that you mm -hmm. see. And then there's the in-betweeners and background artists, designers design the props. And so <clears throat> I felt like I had a more, I, I wanted a more immediate direct connection to the artwork and to the, to the readers um, and it just seemed more fun to me at the time uh, and so I just sort of leaned into comics um, but that took a very long time to, to actually manifest in anything I, I went and got a job as a graphic designer and I worked that job for like six years and while I was there I started drawing my own comics and like collaborating with people on the internet um, and uh, and then in 2006, I put out my first comic through like a publisher that went to comic stores. Um, and it was an autobiographical book called In My Lifetime. Um, and it sold about 750 copies in the direct market. And I was just like, I made it. I'm here. I'm in comics now. Um, yeah. And I just sort of acted as such, even though um, now looking back, that was a real crazy thing to do. But I was in my <laughs> early 20s and I could just sort of make, you know, rash decisions. So I did. I quit my job and I just sort of like went all in on on trying to get work and make comics and make comics my thing. Um, and it took a long time to to have it be profitable and, and uh, steady. But, you know, we got there. Well, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. All the stuff in between. <laughs> we don't we don't talk about the in between stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so like, is there a different process? Cause you, you write, but you also illustrate, like, is there a different process that you go through when you're writing a book versus when you're illustrating a book? Oh yeah. Completely different. Um, it's like, I write visually, which is to say, like, I think about how the pages and the panels are going to look, you know, on the, on the page. So knowing like having laid out pages and having drawn, you know, a thousand or so pages, um, I have in my head already an understanding of like what'll fit on the page or what'll work. And, um, but it's like the plotting is much more, it's like a whole different headspace. Um, I think, which I don't know if I, I'm sure there are a cartoonists who are much more holistic. Like I know there are people that do, you know, where they just like do it a page at a time, you know, where they'll know mm -hmm. what the story is going to be. And they'll just sort of start with draw a page, write a page all on the page, then go like that. That would drive me nuts. Cause I need to know. <laughs> Like where I'm going, I need to know where my surprises and page turns are going to hit. I need, mm -hmm. to, you know, I need to know what's going to fit in the 20 or 25 pages or 26 pages. Um, so yeah, I'm my like my right brain, left brain. Which one's the math one? Left. Left. <laughs> <laughs> the left brain side is where I figure out plot and and structure and get all that like build a, a skeleton to hang the story on. And then I script it and I, and then if, even if I'm drawing it myself, I switch over and I, and then I start as if I got a script from somebody else. It's, it's two completely different things, but knowing about the, like knowing about one informs the other and helps the other. Right. 
Do you have a preference at all? Well, writing is much easier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my preference, like my ideal, like when I think about like what I would like to do, uh, I would just like to be like a Jeff Smith where I can just write and draw my own stuff. Um, I don't think I'd want to publish it myself like he does, but um, just sort of be self-sufficient where I can just sort of sit back, have my books that are done out there, my little earners out in the street, bringing money back in. And then I just sit here and I just make new things. So I'd like to do both. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I really have a preference. I, get, I feel more conf confident drawing, um, but I'm sort of getting confident at writing too. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's <laughs> luckily I can do it all. I'm sorry. I always feel bad no, for no, no, go, that are trying to like get a comic put together or find a way to pitch a comic or break in because I'm always just like, Oh, it's, it'd be so much easier if they could just draw this. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I can do that. So I have, you know, it's, it's a fortunate position to be in, but it, it, it's not like I just accidentally know how to draw. You know? Well, I mean, does it ever get like overwhelming to have to do all of it? Like kind of yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it does. <laughs> but that's, I mean, on Stray Dogs and on Time Shop are the, the two books that I'm, that I sort of are taking up most of my time right now. I have collaborators, um, Christian Misi drew Time Shopper and uh, Trish Forstner drew Stray Dogs and my buddy Tony Rodriguez did layouts for them, both of them. Um, but I still sort of serve as like a, a clearing house or like a, um, like Grand Central, like all the files come in here. Yeah. I sort of tweak them and zhuzh things and then send them back out. And um, So yeah, it's overwhelming, but I think it's my fault because I talk to other people and they're just like, well, I don't do that part, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> send it along. What, yeah. what do you care? But I, I have a part of being a, like I said, part of wanting to make comics was that immediate, like direct contact with the, the readers. So I want it to be as close to what I was intending as possible. Like, I don't like change Trish's artwork or Christian's artwork, but like, as far as like, when we're in the production pipeline, like it's always about, well, let's move this over. Let's, you know, so yeah. it's overwhelming, but it's, it's my fault. Yeah, you have input, you mean, yeah. So yeah. hearing you talk about the left brain and the right brain, I hadn't written this down, but it made me think, could you, if you rewound time to, I don't know, 60s, 70s, and Stan Lee tells you to do the Marvel method, could you have handled it that way around? You know, here's the artwork, put your script on top of it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, writing in the Marvel method, I feel like would be much easier than drawing in the Marvel method because you just, basically there's a sto visual story there and you just have to, you know, the artist would often in the margins just write down what was going on too. So you just have to fill in the words. Uh, seems seems like a great gig. Um, <laughs> the drawing, the drawing would be uh, would be more complicated because then it basically is like you're just doing both. You know, mm -hmm. you get a paragraph. Yeah. I've done some TV writing, um, and that seems similar. Where they give you a, a a springboard, and then you sort of turn that into a whole episode. That's that's what Marvel Method sort of seemed like to me. But I don't know seemed like those guys were more intuitive than like writing down a, you know, a page by page breakdown of what was going to happen off of the scripts. I've never seen any evidence of that happening. It seems like they would just see the script and be like, all right, five pages is a fight. And this one's at the Avengers mansion and then here and blah, 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 Kang the Conqueror, you know? So 
don't know. That seems so much less fun, though. <laughs> the, the drawing part or the, the no just like if if all the if all the artwork is already done and you just kind of i don't know make it up as you go it's like sitting outside and just making up conversations for anybody that walks in front of you <laughs> right like the ultimate in people watching <laughs> yeah that's fun though you go to the mall and you just imagine what those people must be saying the people that you're like i hate those people i think they're <laughs> That reminds me of when you see people, like those things on TV where they're like, um, I don't know, like a Japanese film and they're just like trying to pretend what they're saying in English. Like, yeah. you know. Um, so eventually, obviously, you you moved to IDW and started working on licensed properties and um, just sort of wondered sort of what your thoughts were on the differences between working for a, a sort of established franchises versus your own stuff and but also what it's like to play with characters from Transformers and Star Wars and My Little Pony. It's, I was more thinking about Star Wars because, you know, obviously you talked about your love of, of, you know, going back to Donna, you know, rewind time to seven years old and now here you are, 42 years old, getting to draw stuff you you enjoyed as a child. What's, it, what's, what's that been like for you? Um, what? Uh, that's a couple questions. Let me. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry. That's okay. no, this is great. Star Wars uh, is my favorite thing. Like as far as like fandoms and like you know, like I love comics. I guess comics are my favorite thing. But Star yeah. Wars, as far as like, if you want to get my attention, show me some new Star Wars thing. I'm definitely gonna pay attention. You know, like I go buy comics every week, but I don't always read every comic I buy every week. Every week, you know, no, Star Wars. <laughs> I'll watch that shit. So. Working on Star Wars was uh, a real dream come true. And it sort of was easy to get. It was a job that was easy to get that I didn't know was easy to get. Basically, I'd been working on My Little Pony for years. Um, and I knew the editor of Star Wars, but I just figured like, well, they, they're probably all booked up, you know, like. And I went down to have lunch with my editor at the IDW offices, um, which is not a thing people often do. But I live nearby and I used to go to San Diego all the time. So I was like, well, pop in. And uh, Denton Tipton was the editor at the time. And he, I don't even think he even came to lunch. He was just there in the office. And I was like, hey, let me, let me draw Star Wars sometime. And he was just like, yeah, right on. And then that was it. Like, I didn't have to send samples or anything. They were, <laughs> they were, they were just like, yeah, go ahead and draw Star Wars. And so they hired me to start. Like, I think I, the way they, tech, uh, they traditionally do things there, it seems, is they'll give you a cover, test you out, see how you do. Mm. And then... Um, if that goes well, then they'll throw a story at you. Um, and that's sort of how it happened. Like I, I did a, uh, like a cover with some droids on it. And then they were like, hey, we got a couple stories. One was the Tauntaun. One's about Chewbacca and Lando. And uh, I was just like, yeah, that sounds great. And they were like, well, which one do you want to do? Do you want to do the Tauntaun or do you want to do Chewbacca and Lando? And I was like, well, both. Like, <laughs> anything with Star Wars, I want to do it, man. He was like, all right, cool. Um, and so I did those two short stories. One's like a 10 pager, one's like an eight pager, I think. And, uh, and it was so freeing career wise, because it's the only thing that I ever would like, where somebody goes like, what would you want to do if you could do anything? You know, like just Star Wars, like everything else that I want to do in comics is just my own stuff. And having done Star Wars now, I'm free. You know, like I don't have to climb any mountain, you know, chase some license, whatever. Yeah, I can. I've done that. And I can and I feel very free to just sit around and work on my own stuff now, which is uh, like I said before, like I just want to Jeff Smith this shit. So this, that's the direction I want to be going. That's awesome, um, though, that you got to tick off a bucket list item then. 
Yeah, yeah, and hopefully, you know, earlier than Morgan Freeman, you know, like uh, <laughs> 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 took it off way early. Um, but that, yeah, so I started working in those in at IDW doing licensed books, and I, I did some licensed stuff for like Dynamite and Oni. Um, but I got that gig about uh, five years after I did my first book. So there's sort of like five or six um, hustle struggle years in there where I was eating like, you know, groceries from the dollar store mm -hmm. and just sort of scraping by. Um, and uh, like a year before I got My Little Pony, I had started getting work as like an art director for a, a comics publisher that was just putting together like self-help comics. They would like license self-help books and do comics of them. And I would like set up artists and colorists and letterers and I would letter some books or I would color some books. It was just sort of like, like I do with my creator own stuff where it's Grand Central Station. Where you just mm -hmm. files come in, you move them around. Um, so I was sort of up on my feet. And then um, a friend of mine was, was gonna write a Ninja Turtles one shot that he didn't end up writing. And he was like, you should, draw this because I had drawn some Ninja Turtles commissions at a convention or something. He was like, this would be great. You should do this with me. We've worked on some other stuff together. Um, and so he introduced me to the editor and I did samples for him and I was very professional and fast. Um, and he was like, this isn't like you draw more cartoony than the Ninja Turtles we're doing right now. Uh, so I don't think that's necessarily the place for you, but like this stuff is cool. So we'll keep you in mind. And I was like, ah, you know that's a that's a brush off yeah. yeah um but he did keep me in mind and like a, a probably a month or two later he emailed me back and was like hey we're thinking about uh working with hasbro and doing my little pony comics could you do a sample of what your my little pony comics would look like if you did that so again like real fast i did a sample like a pinup of you know rainbow dash and twilight sparkle and fluttershy i didn't know their names <laughs> at the time um but I just, you know, cranked it out and sent it over. And he was like, okay, cool. Uh, this looks good. Let's do this. You know? And I was like, I think I just got a job. <laughs> um, and then they, then months go by and they announced the My Little Pony comics are coming out. And I was like, oh, I guess I didn't get that job. Um, and it turned out that they hired Katie Cook to write the comics. And she was like, oh, this is awesome. Um, my buddy, Andy Price, uh, watches this show too. And, and he would be great for it. And so... Uh, he got the job drawing comics when he first came out. And I was like, oh, well, there, go, there that goes. And you assume that it's going to be like, you know, a four issue thing or, you know, like a five, six issue thing. So I figured that probably wasn't going to happen. But like with Star Wars, they started hitting me up for a, a cover here and there. And then the book, when it came out, sold like 100,000 copies. Yeah, in the it's US. huge. I was surprised at how big My Little Pony is. Yeah. It was crazy. And, and it's, you know, over the years, it sort of found an equilibrium and then just sort of petered off in the end. But um, but it outlasted the show, you know, and when it <laughs> sold 100,000 copies, they were just like, oh, I guess this is going to be a thing. So they launched like, you know, micro series and a, mm -hmm. a, a sister series and there's all these mini series. So there was just pony work to do for that whole 2012 I started working on it I believe and I were I mean I currently still work on my little pony stuff all the time but they just stopped the, the main series um uh like last month so it lasted almost 10 years the the, the pony series that's um, incredible run yeah it was yeah. Steady, steady work and then the all the other license stuff sort of fell in between when I was working on ponies and doing other stuff 
but yeah, ponies was like my steady, steady job for that whole 10 years, nine years. Would you have ever believed yourself if you could go back in time and be like, yo, in 10 years, you're going to be like, my little pony's going to pay your bills. <laughs> I could not have believed it. I, first of all, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed that there was like a crazy, my little pony fan base that would also support, you know, like <laughs> aside from just the regular comics work, there was this like adult brony fan base mm -hmm. that could, I could just go to conventions that was only my little pony and just be a superstar for a weekend. And like, you know, <laughs> A, a holiday in in Texas or something, you know, like yeah. I just pop in someplace and and be Jim Lee for the weekend. Um, and yeah, it was crazy. Like it, it was an incredible job, incredible opportunity. The the weirdest thing when I think about it is like, all right, if I live to be seventy, more than a tenth of my life was spent doing drawing My Little Pony comics. You know, like wow, I try not to look at it that way, but it's <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. We were talking before, I believe before we started recording about how you had just gone to uh, a con for the first time in a while. So, but has COVID affected anything else? Like any, has it delayed any of your other stuff or has it kind of hit you, giving you any kind of setbacks in the last two oh, years? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, the, the book that we have on Kickstarter right now, Time Shopper, was originally going to be an Action Lab comic, like a, a graphic novel out from Action Lab. Anybody that's uh, paid attention to comics news in the past couple of weeks know that there's been some some issues some drama <laughs> <laughs> yeah and we i feel like we got off pretty light um like we didn't ever have to fight for our rights back or anything like that but the book was solicited and it was supposed to go to print right when covid hit, and it was printing in china of course um, and it was chinese new year and it was covid all at the same time and it just sort of like the, the company just sort of shut down uh, and for a long time, we didn't hear anything. And then when, when they finally popped back up, it hadn't sold so wildly that they were just like, we got to get this going again, you know, like through the direct market. Cause I hadn't, you know, like at that time I was just the guy that drew my little pony. Um, and so they were just like, do you just want your rights back? Like <laughs> we can just call a mulligan on this. Um, <laughs> And we were like, yeah, let's just do this. We'll kickstart it. I never, I'm very excited about our Kickstarter, but I never pictured myself as like a self-publisher um, just because it's all parts of the business that I haven't ever dealt with, you know, mm -hmm. like talking to printers and talking to, you know, suppliers and packaging and all this stuff. That, um, that's not my regular job. And so, but when we thought about like, let's just hold back. Let's put together a Kickstarter campaign. We, there, there's no rush for this. It's not like topical. It's not about Trump or something, you know, mm -hmm. where it's, if it comes out a year from now, people will be like, why are they talking about Kofefe? You know, like, it's just, <laughs> it's just a, a book about a guy traveling in time, buying things. And that could come out anytime. And so we sort of just took a, took our time and put together something cool. Um, and so in that way, it sort of worked out in our favor that, that now we'll actually like see a profit on the thing and we get it to more people and get it directly to people. And it comes with like cooler stuff. And it's more of a, like when Action Lab had it, they were like, we should try, it's about history. So we should try and put it in schools and school libraries and stuff like that. But that was just an idea that we had or that they had. And then we never did anything about it. We just just like, oh, we just should just, well, make sure it doesn't have anything crass in there so we can sell mm -hmm. it to school. So we cut out a couple jokes. 
because it's not like a r-rated comic but it's like it's you know it's adultish uh so we got to sort of put everything back in it and it was going to be slightly smaller than comic book size and now it's back to the original like european format mm-hmm. uh, size um like a band decime i sure i'm sure i said that like a, a real idiot american but um <laughs> we got to sort of do the, the version of the thing we wanted to do um and that worked out really well for us and then the, like the the main thing that i was afraid of with covid was just that conventions were going to go away and i used to make like 40 percent of my income at conventions oh wow um, and so yeah that, that would have been a real hit um but in a truly miraculous uh just a real gift a buddy of mine chris moreno who uh we're doing a book together at image uh, next year he is a was at the time was art director on muppet babies uh on disney jr and he was just like hey we need a designer do you want to do this and i hadn't done like i went to school for animation but i hadn't done anything like that mm-hmm. um but we worked together in a studio for years so he knew what i could do and he just sort of needed somebody that could do the things i could do and so i got that job and it sort of just replaced that that money um so it, it, everything worked out covid was just fine for me i didn't uh, personally it was a disaster but career-wise, it worked out just fine. And uh, uh, yeah, like Stray Dogs came out and we were like, well, comic stores aren't even going to be open. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? This is going to be a total disaster. And then it was an incredible smash success. So <laughs> I, we worry about everything. And in this case, I think there was a, a reasonable reason to be worried, but it, it was fine. COVID was fine. The but- death was a nightmare. Of course, we respect for everyone who lost them did i i managed to just stay indoors and work and didn't get too affected yeah well by the way your kickstarter has already more than met its goal so that's awesome congrats on that it's still got some time left on there for people yeah. that want to check it out so can yeah, you tell you. us a little bit about that story um yeah. like of time stoppers yeah yeah time shopper is a is about a shopper, guy sorry that's okay uh it's about a guy that gets a job uh, traveling in time. Um, it's in the future and he's, he's supposed to go back in time and stop history's greatest disasters. So like he's supposed to go warn the Titanic about the iceberg and warn JFK, kill baby Hitler, um, <laughs> you know, like warn Pearl Harbor. And, uh, but when he gets back in time, he just realizes how cheap everything used to be. And instead of doing the stuff that he's supposed to do, he just goes shopping in the time stream, which is sort of like geek, wish fulfillment for me. Yeah. You know? like I, yeah. Whenever I think about traveling in time, I'm just like, well, I'd get action comics number one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you gotta think bigger, like play the lottery or bet yeah. on horses or something. Yeah, Biff Tan and that shit. Um, <laughs> but then I also like I would go to concerts, you know, like I, yeah. I think about the things I'd want to see in history. And none of it is, you know, the stuff from history books so much is just like, you know, uh, you know, like I'd like to see uh you know, like go look up, like not be in the mess at Woodstock, but just like stand on a hill overlooking Woodstock and just be like, look at them go. Yeah, look at those hippies. So you become the watcher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I just, it's funny though, just looking at the design of this character, like I can't imagine some dude with a mohawk going back to like Pearl Harbor be like, yo, hey guys, by the way, there's something <laughs> real bad going to happen today. Like, be careful. one of the fun things we did with this book too is that like um yeah he does look out of place wherever he goes and we never have 
every once in a while somebody will be like look at him quizzically but <laughs> we never have that be an issue that he, he talks like he's from today basically and he looks like he's from today but he just pops back places and he's just like hey listen <laughs> i see that you're having a sale on chocolate how much can i get for this much money you know like <laughs> they're just like oh welcome you know <laughs> so uh yeah it's super fun it's like it's a it's a comic i really stand behind and i and and it's just like a lark of an idea that we had and and we made it and it's just it's taken us a real long time to get it out but it's i'm very excited that it's going to be out because i think it's especially for people who've read stray dogs it's a completely different side of my writing and my you know the comics that i make i was to say i read those preview pages i was dying i was like like the whole we, we know you didn't kill Hitler. How do you know? Like the whole town, you know, it's like a chocolate party for three days. Like, <laughs> just, like, yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, this is something Jasmine knows. I really love time travel, um, even stuff that people probably shouldn't love, like Time Cop. Um, you know, and I, I obviously could see there's a, like, you put on your update page, you mentioned Bob Gale. So mm-hmm. I just wondered, like, what, you know, is that something time travel that you're influenced by? Is it like are you a big lover of time travel stories? Oh, yeah. Just, well, yeah. Did, did any of that play into this? Like anything influence you at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the whole story is basically just spun out of that scene in Back to the Future 2 where Doc gives Marty that suitcase full of money. And like, it's a small scene in the movie, but to me, it was just so fascinating. As a child, I was just like, what's he going to buy? You know, like, <laughs> buy anything. There's so much money and he's going to back when stuff was cheap. I just was always fascinated with it. Um, and so, yeah, that was a huge influence. I mean, I love, you know, time travel, fiction, movies, comics. Um, my buddy Ibrahim Musafa has a time travel comic that's coming out. I don't even think it's announced yet, so um I won't say what it's called, but I just read that and like that was super exciting. Um, and, and, you know, like Terminator, the, the, the time machine. Um, yeah, like I, I love time travel stories. Um, and then to- in the update today, um, what Mark's talking about is I, you know, when you have a Kickstarter, you post updates to the backers and they can see, you know, just want to tell them exciting new things. And back when the book was a first, first supposed to come out we had done a like a conversation with bob gale who wrote back to the future one two and three um and i set it up through idw because they did the back to the future comics and so i like i had a buddy put in a good word um and we just had this great conversation where we were just like two dorks who just like dorking around with each other and like i was such a fan of his work and i had like uh, real writer questions you know the stuff that i wondered about in his work um, and he gave such great answers and they did this Forbes article that was sort of like the greatest hits of that conversation. Um, and then it came out in 2019 when the book was supposed to come out, but I realized I had the, the audio recording of the, of the whole conversation. So I posted that up on, on the Kickstarter page uh, earlier today. And I just listened to that the other night. Now I, I really, uh, it seems um egomaniacal to treasure a conversation that you had with somebody else you know because i'm just nah. like oh, what a great question i asked i mean you guys interview people right yeah yeah but oh, I was like, I, we totally are like damn that was a good one i was making sure really- that i had that mp3 and dropbox just in case like my house burned down <laughs> you know i could still uh find that again someday because it really i was just like what a great time i can i couldn't i couldn't listen to this podcast for ages I, could, I struggled to listen to it back to hear my own voice but then I had to make myself do it because I was like 
how do I know if I'm actually like any good? <laughs> any good at this? <laughs> like, like, and, then, and then and then when I started listening back to myself, I was like texting Jasmine, going, I, "I'm not. I, I need. There's some areas I need to improve." Like, and I was like, "Actually, maybe it was good that I started to listen to myself." Like, so, um, and then occasionally, like we did, like there was a couple of episodes where I did listen back, and I was like, "Actually, that was a good episode." Like, mm-hmm. high five myself, and um, yeah, and like. <laughs> But it wasn't just that. I was equally like Jasmine. I think you know we both did good and stuff like that. But yeah, it it takes a lot to be able to listen to yourself back. I think like I, I it's not something I was comfortable with um, for a while. So yeah, uh, I can share that sentiment. Um, I, by the way, you know we're just talking about time travel. Have you ever heard of a British TV series called Good Night Sweetheart? No. Um, right now, though. So I I didn't watch it all. It went on for five or six years but i love the first i think two or three seasons now in england a season is normally six to eight episodes we don't normally go the 22 run like 22 is too long anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're done we're doing those now too now with streaming and everything i feel like yeah yeah. with that model oh i definitely prefer stuff no more than 10 episodes now the reason i mention it is because um it, it, it stars a normal guy like um myself who just goes back in time and he can only go to one place and he goes back to world war Mm. two um and he he's a he does end up having an affair he has a wife in the present (laughs) and a girlfriend in world war two and 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 basically he brings goods back and forth between uh mainly stuff from the present to the past and i just was remembering how like the girlfriend in the past asked what the best before date is and he like had to lie about what the best before date was so um i just thought i'd just mention that in case like yeah i've I've got it queued up here i'm gonna check it out um do you now over there do you guys like richard curtis are you just annoyed with him at this point because he did that one uh, about time a couple years ago uh with rachel mcadams Mm -hmm. and uh general hux uh, <laughs> it was super good. <laughs> what film was that? About time. It's the one no. where it's got oh, uh, Bill uh, Nye I, is I the dad, and then General uh, Hux is his son, and then Rachel McAdams is the girl that he's in love with, and the, the men in his family can travel in time. And so you know, what? I I only heard about that film literally probably about a week or two ago i hadn't heard of i hadn't even heard about it and i generally i when i heard about it i was like she's done two time travel films so i was like because <laughs> uh, she did get one like, like she did the time traveler's wife which i actually really enjoyed does that really mean she's film. being typecast or is she being well, timecast uh, yeah it's a timecast yeah <laughs> i will watch it i'll watch it this weekend and i will let you know what my thoughts are. <laughs> boy i, I love me some rachel mcadams um, i would watch her in time travel movies all day long it's a, it's a lady. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I've got lost now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, any are there any like stretch goals we could look forward to that might sort of be like Stray Dogs, where you had all these cool like homage variant covers? Are there going to be any of those for Time I mean, Shoppers? We're trying to keep it just well. So there's the book, um, and there's the one cover on it, and we kind of just want that to be the thing because we went so crazy with Stray Dogs. But there is um, a variant version of the book. There's two different, we call the first one, the Ben Franklin edition. And the whole Kickstarter campaign is told from the point of view of the time shopper, of Carl, the guy that travels in time. <laughs> so he went, like the story is he came and he came to me and Christian Meese and was like, hey, tell a story about, I want to tell you a story about my time traveling adventures and you guys make a comic book out. So we did that. And then 
he took that story and he wanted Ben Franklin to print it because he was just like, I want to go to the most famous printer I could find. <laughs> and so he went to Ben Franklin and Ben Franklin was just like, well, I can only do black and white, but I'll, I'll give it a shot. And so he printed up 20 copies of this black and white, um, hardbound, leather bound uh, Ben Franklin edition. And so we have those. And those also feature like the full script and the full layouts and sketches and stuff. And it's also going to feature now because there was this one super goal for like $5,000, somebody could have Carl go travel in time and shop for anything they want. And then we'll tell that story. And then that person will also get that thing. We don't know what they're going to pick yet, but if they said like, you know, the Mona Lisa, Mm -hmm. then we got to find a way to get them the Mona Lisa. And then we'll tell the story in eight pages of Carl, the time shopper going to find the Mona Lisa. So then that'll be printed in this other, the second edition. So that, and then that also comes with like, there's all these cool like time travel goodies that he goes in time and, and finds and then he brings them back in a time shopping bag. So it's like um, there's like a Mickey Mantle rookie card that Carl at the time shopper is in. And there's like a Nixon campaign button where, where he's running alongside Nixon. Um, and uh, there's like an autograph picture of Jesus Christ. And uh, we we're revealing these sort of like these little secret time shopping bag things as we go along. We just released the other day that he, he went to 1993 and got these primetime TV pogs, which are like in the future, like Bitcoin, like super valuable. Uh, but it's like a Sipowitz pog and a Murphy Brown pog. And oh my God. Andy Sipowitz is one of my favorite TV characters of all oh, time. Oh, for sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that's sure going to be clean. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we released these pogs and we've got one more sort of secret piece that that'll be released next week um that's super cool i think although we put the pogs out and we watched the sort of like the people who are um, supporting the thing and we put out pogs and we're like here we go here comes our money and just like one person was just like cancels their bid oh "Oh, no (laughs) (laughs) so who knows this this could be a disaster as we continue to roll these out Um, But then with the Ben Franklin tier, and then once we ran out of those, he went to uh, Johannes Gutenberg, who made the Gutenberg Bible, and he had him print up an edition, too, to see if that would be better. Um, and those also come with the Franklin edition comes with the Action Comics number one that Carl is like on the cover of as well. And then the Gutenberg comes with the Youngblood number one, which after the extreme cinematic universe sort of launches and Youngblood's like the hottest thing in the world becomes a very valuable comic. <laughs> So uh, you get one of those too. And when they have all new covers, we're like making like art projects basically where we like rip the covers off of comics and staple new covers onto them. It's super fun. Like it's just sort of like dorky time travel fun. Um, And it's all sort of fun to make this whole campaign that's in the spirit of the comic book that the campaign is for. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. I was going to say, that's what I loved about seeing the stretch goals, like all the time travel type references. So I I am very keen to read. So um, just going to move across to Stray Dogs, which you've mentioned a few times. And so I had a question. So Stray Dogs, um, I will try to just make it one question unlike last time. (laughs) Uh, Stray Dogs has been described as sort of Lady in the Tramp meets Silence of the Lambs. Anyway, so when I was researching and getting ready, I heard that Stray Dogs was inspired by an idea of something you had when you were watching TV and you sort of watching TV. It was like a horror murder thing. And you walked out of the room, you came back in and you said, oh, did the person kill them to get their dog? And this actually made me laugh because they were like, 
oh that's not a thing like and then you were like well actually is it a thing and I but so what my question here is how much of your brain actually works like in the horror thing you know is your brain wired like that do you see horror you know around like is that kind of yeah is that no I just mean like you know are you a big horror fan and do you see things like that like and um the fact that basically it's because the fact that you left the room and walked back in did they kill them to get the dog I was like how does someone make that reference and I was like and I thought they must have some sort of horror type thing like in their mind like be you know have a love of horror basically I do yeah I do have a love of horror um, and I'm not as deep. I feel like there's two different, I mean, there's a million different kinds of horror fans, but there's like the ones that have like the black horror t-shirts and the jean jacket with like a black horror t-shirt sewn to the back of it that you see at horror conventions. Yeah. I'm always just like, those guys are cool. They won't be friends with me. They know all the stuff. They know about <laughs> yeah. Pumpkinhead. I never seen Pumpkinhead. Yeah. Um, but then there's like me who like, I, I'll go down rabbit holes where I'll just be like, all right, we just want to watch all the paranormal activities or all the Halloween or all the Jasons or all the Dario Argento movies or all the Lucio Fulci movies. And so, and I sort of like collect horror in that way where I just sort of like get on a, a run and I just want to see all of something or like for probably like the past 10 years or so, I've just been in this sort of like Italian, maybe less than 10, but like this Italian horror thing where I've just been sort of obsessed with like the aesthetics and the I mean, the aesthetics mainly, but they're all like, they're all sort of like pop boiler mysteries, these Italian giallo or Italian horror films. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm into horror in that way, but my brain doesn't necessarily think of horror right away when I'm having ideas. But that the, the way you describe me having the idea for Stray Dogs is often how my brain works, where I don't get excited about ideas that people have already had. Like, I don't feel like I'd want to do a procedural or something where oh, yeah. this, this thing happens at the beginning and this thing happens at the end. In the middle, you change the story around and that's where the excitement is, right? Like, that's where you get to do your storytelling is come up with something interesting in, inside those confines. I get way more excited about, like, nobody ever would do this or nobody ever has done this. And so I often get ideas by hearing about something or I'll see a trailer for something and I'll have in my head like oh this is how this is going to be and then if it's not that way then I think about like well what if it was or like what could mm-hmm. be that way um and that is um I don't know if time no time shopper did come from that because a friend of mine was telling me about his time time travel idea and I was like well then does he go shopping and he was just like well, no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no um, and so stray dogs came from that and um this book that I'm doing my friend Chris Moreno came from that um yeah a lot of them are i'll see something and i'll have like there's this theory about storytelling that when something isn't satisfying as a story we sit around and think like oh they should have done this or if they had done this it would have been better mm-hmm. you know and you have to like you have to make yourself a successful ending or a successful story to close that loop so you can just move on with your fucking life and <laughs> yeah that's where a lot of my ideas come from is just like closing that loop on things. Where yeah. I'm just like, Oh, they could have done this or this would maybe been more interesting. You know? That is probably what got me into fan fiction when I was a kid. It was kind yeah. of like, oh, totally. this sucked. It would be so much better if it went this way. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> sometimes on the podcast actually me and jasmine will be like oh they should have done it like this they should have done it like that or whatever <laughs> we're like oh why did they do this like like and um i'm i i don't mind procedurals like but i don't oh, love i love them. to watch I them yeah no i i don't mind put like i actually really love fbi but they have fallen into some tropes where they did the same thing with it's all it's always when they have to go get a ci and they by the end of the episode their life is wrecked every time they have to go get them i'm like stop can you not just like let the ci get back on with his life at the end of the episode but no like they normally get killed off or something or go to prison um anyway <laughs> can't be snitching um, that's the yeah. rules yeah <laughs> Um, so what what sort of was the idea behind all of the different homage images or oh, images homage covers that you guys did for Stray Dogs? Um, a, f- a friend of mine who's a retailer, uh, I was talking to him about the book and it was coming out and he was like, you guys have to do, you should do movie covers and you should do animated movies because um, it's a book that's like an animated movie and you want, you know, like you can get people in that headspace. And I was like, I don't know, like I was initially against it because i i feel like i have to stand on my own two feet all the time you know and mm-hmm. i'm just like this is my thing i invented this you know like me and trish in this case and and it's and it's good and it can stand on its own two feet um and the just the animated thing didn't really like it didn't make 100 percent sense to me but he was like look they sell like crazy like you'd be stupid not to do it bitter root does them and ice cream man does them and all these books and like they do great for us and so I was thinking about it and I just sort of like put it out there to some friends, like, what about this, you know, Ed saying do animated covers. And my friend Dennis was like, no, stupid, do horror movie covers. Cause it already looks animated. That's how, like, that's the thing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I had a call with um, images marketing department with this lady, Kat Salazar. And I threw that by her and she was like, oh, that's a great idea and she made it make sense to me where she said that tells people what the thing is without having to tell them what the thing is so if you show them Mm -hmm. a cover that's silence of the lambs and your cartoon dogs they'll know that this is a horror thing or a serial killer thing with cartoon dogs so where like good shops will just be like here's what this is and pitch it to somebody sometimes your shop is busy or sometimes you know like they don't you know they're the kind of people that don't want to get up from behind the counter when you come in and even in those shops, you can still sell to those people because they'll sort of just be able to pick up from context cues what, mm-hmm. what this thing is. So we decided to do it and it really <clears throat> obviously took off. Um, and the, the covers did very well. Um, we still sold more of the A covers uh, on that first run. We did A cover and a B cover. But then when we started doing reprints, we did first we did story specific covers again. And then when we got to like the third printings, we we're just like, well, I mean, how many story specific covers can we come up with? Let's just do, you know, we'll do evil dead and we'll do, you know. And so we just started cranking them out. Um, and I, like I said, I worked as a graphic designer for six years before I got into comics. So I have this sort of like secret talent where I can mimic graphic design styles and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like if they would send us at the TV station I worked, they would send us an ad where the logo was like four pixels tall. And they were like, can you make us that logo? And I'd be like, I guess I can. So I can do that. And so I can do that for these, where I can just make where it used to say evil dead, I can rearrange it and make it say stray dogs now. Um, and so our covers, I feel like stand up with uh, some of the best uh, horror homage or movie poster homage covers or just homage covers in general, as far as like, accuracy and like design um 
and it always bugs me as just a uh, uh, anal retentive artist and, and movie fan when I see like just right off the mark, you know, I'm just like, well, why didn't they do the right font or, you know, um, yeah. and so to have that sort of like anal retentiveness behind the wheel on these covers, we really, I feel like we really hit it out of the park a bunch of times on those. And we did, you know, there've been like 40 of them or something. Yeah. And on, on this next run on dog days, which we're working on right now, um, we're just doing the A cover and B cover deal again, but um, retailers now have all, because the first series sold so well, retailers are all just like, well, let us get an exclusive cover for issue one or for issue one and two. So they're just a fuck ton of these covers <laughs> coming. Um, uh, and we're doing a bunch of them. The, the guy at Image, John, who was in charge of all the retailer covers, he was like, you know, you don't have to do these yourself. Like nobody else does this. They just have somebody else draw the covers. And then, and, but I was like, oh, well, that sounds like a good idea now in retrospect, but <laughs> we're doing like for a two issue series, me and Trisha doing, I think like 30 covers or something, something psycho. Oh, wow. Yeah. I but, gotta say though, the covers worked because I kept seeing the name Stray Dogs and the name by itself didn't mean anything to me. And the first time I saw a cover, I was like, this is the same thing that it, people have been talking about. So the cover is what made me pick it up to read the back. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, we, we, we sort of, I feel like we wore some people down with that, where it's just like, fourth printing. Oh, fine. I'll pick it up. <laughs> but I think, to be honest, that the, the covers, the buzz of the covers did catch my attention, like just, and just the eBay sales for these things are going crazy. Probably made you think I should have held some of these back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I especially loved the 28 Days Later one. So oh, that was one of my you. favorites. Um, and as it's almost Halloween, do you have a favorite scary movie yourself? Do you know what? I wanted to do that in the voice of Roger L. Jackson, but I can't. So. <laughs> <laughs> I probably could right now because I'm I'm fighting a cold. I won't try. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I, it's going through my mind. It's like, do you watch your no no? What's your favorite scary? What's your favorite scary movie? Like I can't do it. I can't do it. Sorry. Um, I love Pole or no? I love. The Exorcist. That's probably the like the one that fucks me up the most. Like, the <laughs> scariest. Yeah. Um, I love Halloween as far as just like watchable. You know, like I cheer and, and get excited at all the places you're supposed to cheer and get excited or get scared. Um, but I like newer stuff too. Um, I, I just get excited about horror movies. They're, they're definitely the ones that get me the most psyched. You know, where I'm just like, oh, I gotta see that. Like, I can't wait to see that. I went through and watched all the paranormal activities probably two years ago now. And uh, it's like, I saw the first one and then I, for some reason was just like, ah, whatever. And then I was just like, let me watch these. And they do get stupid at some point, but then there's (laughs) these little gems and like these cool little scares and all of them, they're just so fun to watch. And like, I just like, it's hard to do in comics, but it's not impossible. The idea of like setups and scares, you know, where like you show a thing in a horror movie being one way so many times that when you change it, all of a sudden the audience is like, uh oh, something's going to happen, you know? Yeah. And you can do that in comics. And uh, paranormal activity movies are great at that, where it's just like, you know, the camera's just roaming around the house all the time and it's always the same until one time it's not the same. And you're just like, uh, uh. yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I get psyched about horror movies. I'm, I'm bummed that I'm so busy right now because usually in October I just you know I'll work and while I'm working I'll just have like a pile of 
like Blu-rays or DVDs that have stacked up over the year that I'm just like, all right, I'm gonna bank through all these horror movies. So hopefully I get <laughs> Okay, well, one other thing that we noticed with Stray Dogs, everything is told sort of from the dog's perspective. Um, and we don't see human faces until the very, very end, we see a human face for the first time. So what kind of inspired that whole perspective concept for Stray Dogs? Um, well, just when I had the idea, well, the, the basic idea for Stray Dogs is that it's told from the dog's point of view. Um, and and I thought of it as like do a serial killer story told from the point of view of the characters in like Oliver and Company. Um, and in all those dog movies in the 90s, which were sort of like the main inspiration for these. For like I totally thought Rusty was Charlie from All yeah. Dogs Go to Heaven the first time I opened <laughs> it. I was like, wait a minute. Are we pulling dogs from All Dogs Go to Heaven? I'm not going to be able to get through this book without crying, man. Well, hopefully you didn't anyway. Charlie's much goofier looking when you look back at him. Yeah. Like I, we thought that too. And then I looked him up. I was just like, man, he's all looks like he's made out of balloons. Um, but yeah, it was definitely based on those. It was based on like Oliver and Company, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Balto was huge. Um, oh, yeah. Like Rover Dangerfield. Um, and in all those movies, they had human characters. And whenever the human characters were around, I was less interested in it. And so I was more interested in doing a thing like, um, uh, well, like a Tweety Bird or um, it's a, a, a real cartoon trope where it's like we're focused on these small animals or these small kids and the grownups, you know, peanuts, <laughs> we don't see their faces and whatever they're doing is sort of not in the purview of these kid, kids down here. And oftentimes it'll become an issue for them, but like they're not paying attention to it. And so that's, mm -hmm mainly what it was about in this was just like this guy that they don't, you know, like he feeds them and they like him and they hang out with them and stuff. He's the real problem. And we tell it from their POV as they start to figure out that this, that their master's the, is the, the bad guy. Um, so, yeah. And then the, just the idea of having, saving the reveal of the face until the end was just about like, well, you want to do something, you know, like you want to, and I like the idea of having him not look like a, like a monster just looking like a regular yeah average joe i mean he looks like mark if we're being honest <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't bode well mark just got a puppy mark where did where'd that puppy come from mark oh uh, yeah. glasses <laughs> yeah yeah how did how did tony know like, uh, oh. <laughs> uh oh no i'm gonna have to change my address and uh, my name like um i have to move house uh <laughs> um Anyway, uh, hopefully no one will figure this out. Uh, have, so obviously we talk about Kickstarter, Stray Dogs, um, but do you have anything else that you coming up that you want to talk about, tell people about, hint about at all? Yeah, I mean, the main thing I have, there's two other, two or three other projects that are sort of like bubbling and, and, and we're working on them. But the main focus of my whole life right now is this Kickstarter and Stray Dogs Dog Days, which is the follow-up to Stray Dogs. Um, like we are deep in production on, on Dog Days. It comes out on December 29th. And then the second issue, it's just a two issue. It was just going to be one big giant annual, but Image was like, look, this thing sells really good. We should do it two times probably. And I was like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> cool, say no more. <laughs> so it was, we split it into, um, um, and it's short stories about the all the dogs from Stray Dogs. So. Mm -hmm. um victor's in there like he gets you get like a 
It's the least you can do. Justice for Victor. <laughs> exactly. Um, we sort of get to focus on all these dogs that didn't get their full shine in the series. Yeah, I'm super curious about Imogen. Oh, yeah. We were, I got colors back on the Imogen story today. Yeah. Um, and it's fun to get to like tell little bits of stories. The Imogen story is heartbreaking. I, I think. I, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, some of them are fun. Like when previews came out, there's like a three page preview that's like the Aldo story. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a fun, sort of ghoulish story, but just sort of like, oh, lighthearted. Some of them are sad. Some of them are like adventure stories. So the because Stray Dogs was like this big uh, plot, you know, like it was this fast moving. As soon as you get that twist in issue one, we're off to the races. And then it just, we just kept running until the end. Um, and we didn't take any time to do like, offshoots or little side stories and stuff and this way we get sort of get to have our cake and eat it too where it did well enough originally we said like if this does well we want to go back and do these short stories and it did well enough so we're doing these short stories well i definitely imagine the interest is there i mean i for sure know that i'd I'd love to know more because you get little snippets of some of the dogs backstories and in the main five issue arc so it'd be cool to to get the the full effect well i hope like what I hope it is, is that the people that were into Stray Dogs will get this. And I think all of them will dig it. You know, like if you like Stray Dogs, you'll like this. But my fear is it's a it's a real high class problem. But like it seems like it's going to do pretty good. So there's just going to be all kinds of people who read this that did not read Stray Dogs. And they're just like, what? The f- what? They're just stor- short stories about dogs. This is what the, co- the comics <laughs> industry has been talking about <laughs> all year long. So um if that is a problem i have i'll be happy to have it but it is just in the back of my head i'm just like i'm gonna have to just do a a series of interviews where i go and i'm just like listen if you're gonna read this read stray dogs first if you buy a first issue i'll just send you the pdf of stray dogs i don't want anything (laughs) yeah this is slight or it doesn't matter or anything like that this is a bonus you know this is the lord of the rings extended edition you know yeah Uh, that reminds me of um you just said that like my parents they watch they've never seen breaking bad and you know the movie came out yeah. that follows breaking bad they were like yeah we watched this movie the other day but we really didn't get it and i uh, i forgot the name of it now but they are like they, and i was like yeah i said yeah and i like i said mom dad you can't watch that <laughs> film without watching breaking bad no they were like oh <laughs> like the, they were and they were like well how long was breaking bad on for i went a long time like you know like five or six seasons they were like oh okay no wonder we didn't get what was going on so yeah <laughs> i totally um, saw captain america winter soldier before i saw the first avenger and so that whole bucky reveal and everybody in the theater is like oh my god i was like who the <laughs> fuck is that guy like i don't understand what's going on right now so, um, guy with long hair yeah <laughs> yeah if i'm vince gilligan at the beginning of el camino i come out like alfred hitchcock and i'm just like good evening please don't watch this until you've watched all eight seasons of breaking bad thank you <laughs> that's a bit like with um tom holland with his uh trailer for um uh, the second spider-man film he's like do not watch this trailer unless you've seen endgame they should have done that with the breaking bad movie they should have yeah, said sure. yeah yeah i agree with you um we just start to wrap things up now but um we also do a monthly book club where we call it uh, late to the party that was jasmine's idea by the way uh <laughs> and we go back and look at like a central graphic novels and we do things like v for vendetta and mouse and why the last man and we just wondered if you had any essential graphic novels that you could recommend to people like um 
or of that ilk? Uh, well, yeah, I, I always recommend um, Stray Bullets, uh, all of it really, but volume one, uh, The Innocence of, of Nihilism, uh, it's just like amazing crime comics. David Lapham <clears throat> is a tr like a true genius and he's, you know, like Orson Welles made Citizen Kane and then he had to do all this other work, you know, and he, and he like every time he wanted to make his own real stuff, he would have to in, in between do, you know, like be in the Transformers movie and <laughs> make wine commercials and stuff. Every time I see David Lapham like doing work for higher stuff or working on Batman or something, I'm just like, yeah, somebody give him money so he can make his own comic. But he's so good at it. Um, Stray Bullets is a masterpiece. The first volume is the probably the first comic that makes me made me cry. And when I reread it, it makes me cry. Um, but it's just like good crime comics, but it's also like character based crime comics where like Sin City's like, you know, pulpy mm -hmm. um, black and white crime comics. And this was sort of like the, the mirror, the reverse side of Sin City when they were both coming out around the same time, both black and white comics, both indie comics, uh, both pretty acclaimed. And this one is the one that's just about these characters and like these little shitheads that are trying to get their life together or trying to not get their life together. One's just about this little girl named Virginia Applejack. It's just great. It's, it's beautiful. I, I recommend it very highly. Stray bullets. Oh, do you know, I just looked it up. I have seen the cover before. I've never read it. I will add it to our list. Um, yeah, please do. To, go to, to uh, add to the monthly book club that we do. <laughs> If you okay. do it, let me know. I'll come back. I'll read it along with you. And then I'll, I won't even interject. I'll just go like. That's like when you introduce your favorite thing to someone and then they don't like it. And you're like, you're a piece of shit. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you love it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Stray Dogs aside, uh -huh. favorite book of 2021 so far. Have I read anything new in 2021? Man, I've been busy. Um, the last one I can remember, that, and I think this is like 2019, 2018, was uh, Jeff Lemire's Sentient. Uh, the, the TKO book was about the kids on the spaceship. Mm. I'm sure I'm, as soon as I get off this call, I'm going to remember the 2021 book that I really like. Um, <laughs> but off the top of my head, I don't know. I like Silver Coin. Oh, uh, I haven't read that. Well, I want to. Yeah, it's fun. It's anthology style, so you can just pick it up and read it, and then you know, skip a couple issues and pick it up and read it again, or let them sit. Um, yeah, gosh, I feel bad because I don't. I don't off the top of my head, can't think of what my favorite comic of this year is. Stray Dogs. Stray Dogs is the best comic you've read all year. <laughs> so it's definitely one of my favorites. Like, yeah. Um, so. Um, next episode, in our next episode, we're continuing our October Horror Fest and we'll be looking back at the first 20 issues of Something is Killing the Children. <laughs> and don't forget, <laughs> we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our 10th Late to the Party book club was Why the Last Man by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra. That episode also marked our one year anniversary of the book club. So please, please check that out. Uh, we go back and kind of discuss some of our favorite episodes. That dropped mid-September and our next book club, we are reviewing Batman, The Long Halloween by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. And Tony, uh, where Tony. can people find you? Sorry, Mark. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Cut each other off. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, I'm online. I'm, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, uh, just at Tony Fleece, F-L-E-E-C-S. Most importantly, though, I'm on Kickstarter right now. Kickstarter, yada, 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 Time Shopper. Or you can just type in timeshoppercomic.com um, and you can head over there and, and check out pages from Time Shopper and see if you want to get in on all that wacky time travel fun. I should have done my horror book in Halloween and my comedy book in February, but I sort of, you know, everything's all mixed up this year. You could do horror in February too, though. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> it went great. <laughs> you need you need a little bit of comedy in uh, in October, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Little, um, little later, and it won't come out until next year anyway. So while you're in a <laughs> while you're in a spooky mood, just order this funny book. I don't know. <laughs> um, you can follow us Geeks and Leash everywhere Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcast Google, Podbean, Apple, Spotify we are everywhere so please give us a five star review and tell your geeky friends thank you very much for listening and thank you Tony for joining us I really appreciate you jumping on with us this week yeah, yeah thanks so this was fun fun conversation thank you yeah. agree thank you very much Hey everybody, we're still here. Tony's oh, gone. Man. You guys are still here? We Tony's got another post credits, man. And then another post credits. Slightly yeah. different though. No, no trailer to yeah. uh, I always think about the Spice oh. Girls movie though, when I think about this. Like w- with uh Ginger going, oh, is there a couple back there snogging in the back? <laughs> they could be. They I mean, could there be. could be. Hey, whatever you do with the podcast is your business. We're not here to judge. Yeah, you could be putting this on and snogging at the back. That's cool. I mean, or, you know, you could be in the bathroom reading on the toilet. You could, That's cool, too. You could, or you could just be, be like naked, laying in the bath, listening to Geeks Unleashed. That's down, perfectly fine. Down. That's what bath yeah. salts and candles are for. You could be rummaging through woodlands on your own, listening to Geeks Unleashed. We're yeah. down. Or you could be vacuuming uh, or, you know, cleaning your kitchen, doing the dishes, cooking dinner. All manner of things. <laughs> You could be stopping bank robberies and listening to podcasts. Like, or you I mean, could be robbing banks listening to podcasts. Whatever floats your boat. Right. Let's tell people why we're here well, before we talk about where, where they're listening. And okay. actually, do you know what? Like, people should let us know where they listen to their podcasts. Like, because true. Yeah. People aren't, people aren't going anywhere anymore. So, listen, like, we are naturally it? an international podcast since Mark is overseas. There's a whole ocean that separates the two of us. So, please. Drop us a note to let us know where you're listening from. I'll tell you what, on the on the Instagram when we post this, like head over to Instagram and um, comment on our episode for this week and let us know not only did you love the episode with Tony, but also where did you listen? Where did you hit? Where, where do you? Where listen? in the world? Where it's like Carmen Sandiego up in here. Where in the world are you? Where in the world, but also where? Like specifically, like do yeah. you listen to sitting on my couch? More? I was driving the- in my car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I don't know, tracking down bank robbers. Like, do you know, there might be some bounty hunters that listen to us. Like, As you do. I mean, hey, yeah. I'm not judging. Bounty hunters got to listen to something. Anyway, yeah. ja- Jasmine, why are we here? We have a surprise announcement. And what is our surprise announcement, Jasmine? We have a Patreon. Finally. Finally. It's, uh, <laughs> Something we've been teasing that we were going to announce. Oh, yeah. Something something we were like, should we do it in August? Should we do it in September? Um, <laughs> should, and, uh, should we do it in 2021? Hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, so when is our first, uh, sorry, when is our first Patreon uh, episode going to be available? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. 
tomorrow. That is what, Monday. Monday the what? Monday, October 11th. And what, what, so this is a, a new series that we're launching. Is that right? Brand spanking new series. And what's that series called, Jasmine? It is called Deep Cuts. <laughs> uh, and for our first episode, what are we going to be talking about? We are going to be revisiting a fan favorite, the revitalization of the slasher flick Scream. Are you excited? No, not at all. No, I'm kidding. I'm super excited. Of course I'm excited. I love Scream. Oh, uh, you don't ruin it too much. Like, no. um, anyway. Sorry. No, not excited. Can... I'm not excited at all. So you can tune in on Patreon and listen to our Patreon exclusive series. Mm-hmm. And the first episode is available, as Jasmine said, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and we obviously cover, we will be covering movies and TV shows, but for more details check out patreon yep um jasmine is this episode ever going to be available for free to, to non-patrons mm, perhaps maybe is it is it like the magic eight ball shake come yeah you know, what does it say come back to me later or something yes <laughs> <laughs> so check out the patreon for more details we will leave you there and we will actually end the episode now there is no more second credits no no post credits no more this is it this is a mid credit scene yeah yeah anyway we'll see you next week and thank you in advance for your support 100 percent. bye-bye bye